Well, grace and peace to you, Christ Church. I am so grateful to be back with you this week. Uh, this past week, I had the difficult uh, but joyful honor also of participating in my grandmother's funeral. Uh, my dad, alongside my dad, Pastor Brad Durness. Um, there were lots of tears. There were lots of laughs. And then there were some more tears. You know how that kind of goes with grief. And Tommy's like, I am so glad I wasn't there. I can't handle all the emotions, right? Um, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve as though we grieve for a moment, but we have our eyes fixed on forever. When the dead shall be raised and we shall meet him in the air and reign with him in the new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. Well, Pastor Debbie last week got us started on this new series, The Source, Staying Connected. And in this new series, or this Easter season, as we kind of process what has been accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Easter, right? We are also preparing our hearts for the coming of the Comforter, the Spirit promised by Jesus in his final days. And as Pastor Debbie said last week, the way the disciples are going to be connected to God is changing dramatically from being in person, like, hey, let's go have coffee, Jesus, right, to this spirit being present, fully present, but not in a body in the same way. It's a major uh, paradigm shift for how we stay connected to God. Now, the call in John 15, you can go ahead and turn there if you want to, because we're going to be in that same chapter as we were last week, uh, where that's where we're going to be today, is this call to abide. And the Greek word there for abide is meno. Now, your version might say abide, it might say remain, it might say stay joined, it might say live in. It's one of those Greek words that has like a thousand definitions, so it's kind of like, eh, I'm just going to pick one out of the bag, right? Uh, because there's so many different ways that we understand that text. And it's one of those words that's kind of slippery. We can't get our fingers totally around what it means with all of its nooks and crannies. And, and so even though this word meno is all throughout the entire book of John, we don't see it because we translate it differently in all these different passages. And so, for example, and this might burst your bubble this morning, but it's a bubble that needs to be burst, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, you know that famous phrase, that famous verse in John where he says, well, they're all worried about where Jesus is going. And Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry. In my father's house, there are many mansions, right? No, it's no. I'm sorry, but the word there is not mansion. The word is mone, abiding place, a place of dwelling and intimacy and connection and staying connected. You see, right now, my grandmother is not picking out carpet for her new heavenly digs, okay? She is abiding with the Lord, awaiting resurrection until we can all be united and abide in that intimate way once again. But anyway, the point of that whole thing of this abiding and dwelling and remaining in intimate fellowship is really key in the book of John. And so when I was a kid, when I would read, mainly when I was a teenager, I would read this passage, especially the passage that Pastor Debbie did last week, about the pruning of the vine. You know, if you're not bearing fruit, you're going to get cut off, you know. And as a kid, I remember thinking, I have to be like a baby possum, clinging as tightly to Jesus as possible, lest a hard right turn throw me off into the abyss, right? There was this, like, fear, faith life that I experienced at that age. But as Pastor Debbie told us last week, it's not us merely abiding in Jesus. It's Jesus already abiding in us, already making himself quite at home in us. And our call to abide is a responsive one, responding to what God has already done, making himself quite at home in us. So we can lean into that biting and we can respond to it with our devotion and our faithful presence. And so there's no room for fear, that tight white knuckle grip like the baby possum, right? 
And the result of that abiding, what did she tell us? What did she tell us last week? The result of abiding in Christ is fruit. And why fruit? Because that's what vine and branches do. That's why they exist. If they don't bear fruit, they aren't living into their natural vocation. They aren't living into their why for existence. When we are allowing Jesus to abide in us, and when we are abiding in Jesus in return, we are empowered to be who and do what we were made to do, namely bear fruit for a hungry world. So that's our vocation. Now today, we're going to continue with this all minnow talk, this abiding message. And I don't do this terribly often, but today I do want to read today's passage from the message. This down-to-earth language of this passage is going to serve us well as we explore what God might want to say to us. So it's John 15, 9 through 17. So follow along if it's different than what you got, okay? I've loved, the, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly wholly mature. This is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. But no, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. You didn't choose me, remember? I chose you. And I put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. But remember this root command. Love one another. You know what captures me about that particular translation or paraphrase is that beginning sentence. He says, make yourselves at home in my love. What a beautiful, poignant phrase that is. Make yourself at home. It's what we say to guests, right? Uh, And what do we usually mean by that? When someone comes over, we say, make yourself at home. We usually mean something like, come on in. Don't be shy. Grab a seat. Relax. Here's a cold beverage, right? No need to get up. I'll set the table. We are just glad you're here. Enjoy our hospitality, right? That's make yourself at home. Now, to really be at home is a little different, right? If you are really at home, means you can kind of rustle through the cupboards if you need something, right? Normally, we don't like dinner guests to rifle through our cabinets. That's kind of frowned upon, right? Now, to really be at home means that you might leave your socks by the couch and get hassled by mom and dad. To really be at home means you probably have some responsibility around the place to contribute to the corporate good, right? If I am truly at home, I have a part to play in making that home a home. Through loving cooperation toward a common goal, like picking up socks or doing the dishes or mowing the lawn or whatever. So in addition to this experience of being secure and loved and welcomed, I also have a job to do, a part to play in this family to make this home. Well, like I mentioned this last weekend, I wasn't here with you. I was at my dad's, at my parents' house in Michigan, uh, helping lay my grandmother to rest. And the funeral service was on Saturday afternoon, so it was kind of late. And so uh, both me and my dad spoke at it, along with my mom. And uh, before I went out there, I said, Dad, just, why don't you let me preach on Sunday? Like, you're doing the funeral on Saturday. I'll preach. It won't be a big deal. I'll pull an old one out of the back, right? No big deal. 
because I just really wanted to help and be do what I could. But as it turned out, my help wasn't needed because that Sunday was their equivalent of the Love Your City Day. Okay, it's kind of the event that sparked our imagination for We Heart Mountain Home. They have this Love Your City Day, Love Lansing, and they have it's a huge event. They've been doing it for years, so like thousands of people and uh, these dozens of sites. They go and do these amazing projects. It's super cool, right? So you would think there's no church service. I don't have to preach. My brother is home on bereavement leave, and my grandpa is in a bad way. So for me, Sunday morning is going to be chill. I'm going to relax, put my feet up, have a cold drink, right? Well, you would be wrong. Because to be in my family of origin, to be a Dernus, is to always be on mission, okay? To be a part of what's going on. So I kid you not, I woke up Sunday morning, walked down the stairs to two Love Your City t-shirts laid out, one in my size, one in my brother's, and my Sunday off from preaching, I spent four and a half hours digging trash out of a ravine ravine, alongside a busy road in Lansing, Michigan, and I got poison ivy to boot. So if you see me scratching, that is why. Like legit, it's like on my shoulder, right? So I got this poison ivy and this little going away gift. And you know what? As ridiculous as it was, and by the end of it, I was like, somebody better bring me a snack because it's about to get real over here. Um, You know what? I don't resent it. I don't resent it even a little bit because you know why? I felt right at home. I was joining my family in service that day because making oneself at home isn't about putting your feet up and someone bringing you a cold drink. Making yourself at home means engaging in the life of that family, right? Making oneself at home in the life of the family involves uh, loving deeply and contributing to the life of that family in self-sacrificing ways, whatever that might look like, right? Even digging the trash out of a ditch of a city that's not yours, right? See, the call to Menno to truly abide in Christ is a call to make ourselves at home in God's love. The text says, make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain intimately at home in my love. And so to make ourselves at home in God's love is to join the family, right? And thus join the family way of life. So to make ourselves at home is to lean into that family way of being and thus join the family way of life. And in our case, that example is found in the person of Jesus, most specifically as Jesus relates to the Father, right? Jesus shows us what it looks like to make ourselves at home in the love of God. And so there's a bunch of just as, so you statements, like just as the Father loves you, uh, loves me, so I love you. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and abide in his love, so too you are to abide in the Father, you know, obey his commands and abide in his love. Just as I have loved you, namely by giving my life, so too you are to love each other in self-sacrificial ways. Just as the Father has appointed me for these good works, for my mission, so too you are chosen and appointed to fulfill your mission of bearing fruit. It's this whole, just as me, so too you. Just as Jesus, so to us, okay? And it's this delicate kind of responsive dance between love and obedience. Love begets obedience and obedience deepens love and they intertwine and they complement one another as we make ourselves at home in God's love. So love and obedience aren't in opposition to one another, but rather they feed and deepen one another. But the thing is, it's really not that uncommon 
for us to juxtapose love and obedience as if they were two like disparate categories. We do it all the time. Love is mishandled and ill-defined and thus used to justify bad behavior, behavior that is contrary to the family way of being into which we have been invited. So you will say, you God is love, we say. But the implication underlying that statement is God is love. And so it's okay, whatever I do, as long as it makes me happy, right? There's this disconnect between the love and the obedience. There are some major holes in that equation, is there not? You see, Tommy and I both went to a private, small private Christian university in Kansas, okay? And we went there both knowing exactly what we were getting into and why we were there. We knew when we got there, there were going to be boundaries and expectations and sometimes even dress codes for certain things. And there were expectations concerning specific behaviors. Now, if you went to a small Christian college, you know what I'm talking about. My mom, when she went there, they had to wear pantyhose every day and a skirt every day, no matter what. Isn't that craziness? Craziness, right? Anyway, so some students enrolled in this school not knowing those little nitty-gritty details, okay? Okay, so at this first freshman banquet, the chaplain gets up and starts talking about these guardrails, like metaphorical guardrails, okay? These things that will keep us within the boundaries of Christian ethical practice as interpreted by this local school. And oh my goodness, the looks on the faces of some of those students, particularly some of the athletes who were there exclusively to play ball, what do you mean there are open dorms hours and that she can only come to my room twice a week and that we have to leave the door open? <laughs> what do you mean there is a curfew? I'm an adult, right? What do you mean I can't have keg parties on the campus lawn? What kind of prison is this? <laughs> oh, my word. And Tommy was an RA for these, like, raucous freshman men, and he has stories that will make your hair curl. So there you go. You know, but the image that the chaplain used of guardrails has stuck with me. This image of God's commands serving as guardrails, protecting us from flying off into the abyss. Now, to clarify, the guardrails of God's commands are not intended to keep us on the road of God's love. If we bust through the guardrails, we do not fall beyond God's love ever, okay? God's love is a done deal. You're stuck with it. He's kind of a hanger on, okay? Deal with that. But what the guardrails are protecting us from is ourselves and our toxic tendency to go our own way. And so the guardrails of God's command is to keep us safe from the powers of sin and the consequences of the sin that go along with it, right? They are intended to protect us They are for our good. They are for our wholeness and our holiness. God's commands are good. And so in this passage, what is the good command that is given to us by God? That is to serve as our protection as the means by which we will stay connected to God, the source, the means by which we will abide in him. Well, verse 12 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you you. It's one of those just as statements again, right? Just as I have loved you, so too you ought to love one another. And he goes on to say in verse 13, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, while the disciples wouldn't have caught that little hint of what's to come, right? This is pre-crucifixion. We see it, don't we? Jesus is saying, 
love me, love me so greatly that you would be willing to lay down your life for each other, just as I'm about to do for you, like in a couple hours, okay? Just as I, so to you. It's that same pattern again, this time with eyes fixed on love. And the love that Jesus is talking about and modeling through his ministry, and which will culminate on the cross and in the empty tomb, is that radical agape love. Now, you've probably heard of it. It looks like the word agape, right? It's kind of like Dory on Finding Nemo. She goes, escape. It's escape. So it's like this, agape. That's how you remember it. Okay, not agape, agape. Now, it's Greek, for a little crash course in the, in the Greek love here, there's three kinds of love in the Greek. There's the eros love, which is that passionate, sometimes sexual love. There's the, the phylos love, which is like the, uh, like the friendship kind of love, like Philadelphia, the friendship kind of thing. And then there's agape, which is that conscious, intentional, selfless, self-giving love. And guess what kind of love Jesus is talking about? It's agape, of course. That self-giving, self-emptying, all for the good of the other kind of love. A simple command, right? To love each other as I have loved you. Simple and yet not easy. And so what is this text really asking of us? And what is it telling us about God? And, And how does this command to make ourselves at home in the love of God and then leaning into the obedience of loving one another, how does that keep us connected to the source? Because I know if I find myself disconnected from the source, I am in deep weeds and quickly, right? Now, normally, I'm not really a three-point preacher kind of person, but this particular passage does lend itself to three really big ideas that I think help us, will, will help us understand how we are to stay connected to the source, how abiding and obeying God's command to love will keep us connected. And the first one is this. We are talking about here is divinely empowered devotion, not mushy sentimentality. We're talking about agape here, people, that conscious intentional, selfless love. And this is the thing. It is divinely empowered. We see it first modeled in the Father's uh, love of the Son, Jesus. And Jesus, having been filled with overflowing of the love of the Father, Jesus loves us in the same way, right? Jesus embodies this love so completely in his life all the way through his death and resurrection. And so as it says in 1 John 3, the epistle, not the gospel, it says, uh, we know love, we know what it is at all by this that he laid down his life for us. Jesus' act of love for us in response to the Father's love for him was that ultimate act of devotion, fulfilling the Father's command that resulted in his persecution and death. He was so filled with the Father's love that it overflowed to love for us, right? Now, sidetrack. Have you ever had the glorious experience of a chocolate fountain? Have you ever seen this? You know what I'm talking about? They, they are magical. They are absolutely magical, right? This melted chocolate just cascades off this tower, each tear filling uh, as it flows and flows and flows. And at the heart of the machine, there is this heater that melts the chocolate. And then uh, that's the source of all goodness and delight on, in this side of the world, right? And as the internal auger spins, the chocolate rises to the top and it starts flowing to that first tier, but it fills up. So it starts flowing to the next tier. And then that tier fills up and it starts flowing to that. You get my point? Like it starts overflowing and then boom, filling up and then boom, it overflows, right? It is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And now we all want chocolate, right? Yeah. Well, hear this. 
God, and this might be a bit of a stretch for some of you, but I want you to hear this image of this overflowing and abundance. God is the source of all love, beloved. Love emanates from the core of God's very being. God cannot help loving any more than the sun can keep from shining or the chocolate can keep from flowing, okay? And in 1 John 4, the writer says, God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. And love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out that fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. That love that is starts with the Father and has poured over into the Son and is now expressed to us through his life and death, death and resurrection fills us to overflowing. And it can't help but spill out into the lives of those around us. I mean, love is just getting on everything, right? So it's a divinely empowered, divinely sourced love, not some mushy sentimentality out of work up for y'all, okay? It is divinely sourced. And that leads us to the next big idea of this passage is that what this means for our life together. Because this command to love is written to the church, not to the world. And at first I feel kind of weird about that. I'm like, aren't we always looking out to the world? But I think what the author is saying here is this love has to start at home, right? In this place for it to bear forth healthy fruit. Now, in our original passage, in John 15 and 1 John, I keep referencing, the original audience was that family of faith, the resurrection community, right? Those followers of Jesus. And Jesus speaks very directly to them about their love for one another within the body of faith. Now, this is obviously not because Jesus doesn't care about people outside the walls of the church, right? But because Jesus knows that only healthy branches that are interconnected in love and cooperating for purpose will bear fruit that will in turn nourish the world. You see what I mean? So being rightly related to God and rightly related to each other, that mutual abiding relationship, that's the only way that we can produce the fruit that will nourish a sick world that is hung over and binged to bursting on getting their own way. You see, this overflow of love, that lovely chocolatey goodness comes straight from the Father to the Son who shows us exactly what divine love looks like with skin on. And then he invites us to join into that, to be filled to overflowing. So if you look back at 1 John 3, he says, the writer says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love each other. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother, And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? We know because we love each other. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us, and we too ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth 
and action. Did you hear that? Just as Jesus demonstrated God's love by laying down his life, so too we ought to lay down our lives to one another. It's that just as Jesus, so to us equation again. He says we are to give our lives away. That's what it means to be a part of this resurrection community, this weird association of people who are bound together by the testimony of Jesus, the testimony of his life and his death and his resurrection. And so we give our lives away for each other. Why? Well, first, as an act of gratitude, saying, God, you gave your life for my behalf. Thus, I want to say thank you by loving in return. It's an act of gratitude. You know, but also we give our lives away for each other in the body of Christ as as like a mimic, as a copycat, as a walk as Jesus walked act of obedience by living and loving as Jesus. You see, Jesus embodied this self-giving love of the Father. And so, so too we embody that self-giving love to one another. And this has really nitty-gritty, daily, everyday, super practical implications for us. It has implications for how we love our spouses and our children and our family. Am I modeling God's self-giving love to them first? I have to ask myself this all the time. Because it will not matter how well I pastor a church or how many people read the words I write if I do not love and pastor my family well first, straight up. But the question subsequent to that, and you have to answer that question for yourself as well. It doesn't matter how much you volunteer and help out at church. If you're not loving your family well at home, you're missing the mark. But the question following that, the question subsequent to that, pertains to this this faith family. Am I loving my faith family well? Am I creating space both in my life and in my heart for people who are different from me? Am I insisting on my own way of things instead of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? Am I failing to love this resurrection community by neglecting the discipline of corporate worship? By just showing up when it's convenient and there's nothing else more interesting to do? Got a little quiet there for a second. But did you catch that? When you continually, habitually bump the discipline of the corporate gathering down on your to-do list, the body of Christ is incomplete. Because neglected relationships that only get our attention a couple of Sundays a month cannot embody the self-giving love of Christ. It just can't happen. It's like hanging out with your wife twice a month. That's not going to work. It just can't. We have to show up as a discipline to receive and give that Jesus kind of love. Unless we forget our commitment to love as we have been loved matters because as we walk in love with God and with one another, guess what happens? We bear fruit. We bear fruit that nourishes the world. Gratitude and following Jesus' example and living into our vocation, we do what we were made to do. That's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot of love. It's a simple yet profound command to make ourselves at home in the love of God, joining the family, the family work of loving and starting right where we are so we can be bear healthy fruit for a hungry world. It is all good news, isn't it? It's such good news. But 
You know what the best news of all, and maybe this is for me, from my high-achieving, very high-anxiety personality, I find the best news of all of this in this. All of this is from God, not us. I don't have to conjure all this up in myself. I do not have to work myself up into a spiritually driven, emotional tizzy of love and warm feelings towards you people. I love you. I love you. But sometimes, you know, it takes a lot of work. And, And I don't even have to go about bearing fruit by my lonesome. All of this is from God, and all of it is done corporately. You, me, and us together in faithfulness. John says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. And this is the thing about God. He doesn't call us to do something he's not already empowering us to do. Thanks be to God. And then in 1 John 4, it says, in this is love. Not that we love God, Mm -mm. but that he loved us. Guys, all of this, all of it is initiated by God. God is the first lover, the source of all love. This text is an invitation to make ourselves at home in that love, to abide in that love, to stay the course with Jesus, the model of both love and obedience, that we might live lives of loving faithfulness and purpose, bearing nourishing fruit with one another for the world. All of this is from God, the first lover, who has reached out to us when we had no knowledge or inclination towards him. We respond to that love, making ourselves at home in that love and thereby naturally being shaped to love as he loves in radical, self-sacrificing, even reckless ways. We're going to close this morning with a song called Reckless Love. It's been on the radio a bunch lately. You might have heard of it, but it's been kind of controversial. Let me read you the text and you can see what you think. It says, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You've been so, so good to me. When I was your foe, your love still fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. But here's the controversial part. It says, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. And that word that everybody's getting up in arms about is the word reckless. Is God's love reckless? Well, I'll leave the theological wrestling match to others more qualified than myself. But what I hear when I hear those words, that reckless, never-ending, that unable-to-imagine kind of love, what I hear is the human heart trying to grasp how wide and how high and how deep is the love of God in Christ that it seeks us out, that invites us to make a home in him long before we ever cleaned ourselves up. It is a love that is given, not knowing whether or not we would accept. And yet it's given anyway. And it is this love, this reckless, doesn't make sense in this world kind of love that invites us to not only receive the love, but to mimic it to embody it to each other in the body of Christ, that we might bear fruit to nourish the world. And so let's say yes, shall we? Yes to this reckless love that has been so freely given. Yes to the call to embody this wild and vulnerable and you might get hurt kind of love. Let's say yes 
to this love that calls us to dig more deeply and more faithfully and more consistently into this body of believers through our presence. Let us say yes to being transformed into fruit-bearing branches for the sake of a hungry world. Amen and amen. Let us respond in song. We say thank you for your never-ending, unfailing, even reckless love. A love that has chased after us, that has made a way for us. You have poured yourself into your son, who has poured himself out on our behalf. Showing us, not only offering us our salvation, but showing us the way to live. To pour ourselves out, the way you have poured yourself into us. And so, Lord, we say, first of all, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your love that chases us down. Thank you that you have given us the freedom to respond to that love. And Lord, as your love, as we accept that invitation to receive that love into our hearts, Lord, may it overflow in every part of our life, with our families and with our church family, Lord, that we might be rightly related to you and rightly related to others, uh, to each other, so that we might bear fruit nourishing fruit for a world that is so in need. Lord, would you help us to be and do what you have called us to. We love you and we are so grateful for your all-encompassing, never-failing love. May we live in that love, making a home in it, that we might embody that love to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's stand and receive the benediction this morning. Receive this good word. Beloved, Christ Church, may you make yourself at home in the love of God, joining in the family work. And may that love overflow in your life. You get love all over the place. Go in peace. And go in peace. You are dismissed. Amen.